Today's scripture can be found in the book of Mark, chapter 15, verses 6 through 15. And in the Pew Bible, it can be found on page 721. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with, with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release you, the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Recently I was speaking on the phone with a fellow scholar who teaches Bible at a different uh, university and I told him that I had an upcoming sermon on Barabbas to which he replied, you know, we don't know a whole lot about him. We don't know a whole lot about Barabbas. And I said with confidence as a scholar, oh, I'll do my homework, I'll do my research. I'm going to have plenty to go on. Don't you worry about me. I did my research and I loved it. I mined the scriptural treasures. I plumbed the depths of the word of God and had a wonderful time doing it. And I learned that we don't know a whole lot about Barabbas. I remember being in a church play about Easter when I was a kid, and I remember nobody wanted the role of Barabbas because not only was he a bad person, but he didn't have any lines. He was the only character that didn't have a line. If you put together everything we know about him, you can probably say it in one or two sentences. We just don't know that much. What we do know is that we probably wouldn't care for him very much. Uh, Matthew refers to him as a notorious prisoner. Mark, which was just read, calls him a murderer and an insurrectionist. And then John refers to him as a thief. Put all of those together, and this guy is bad news. He's the kind of guy you don't want back out on the street. And he's kind of the guy you want to see get it in the end. If he was in a movie, if there was a movie about him, you would hope that at the end he would, he would get nailed by somebody and, and be put away. Now, he's often depicted in movies as a psychotic killer. That's probably... Not the case. The word there, insurrectionist, suggests to us that he was a zealot, that he was of that group of Jewish super patriots who thought that, that Roman uh, rule over Palestine was an abomination and the best thing that could be done would be to overthrow the Romans. It's very possible, I think, that Barabbas was a member of what we call the Sicarii. The Sicarii was a subgroup of zealots. Sicarii literally means dagger men. What do you think they did? They were assassins. They were hit men. And I have wondered through the years, as have some scholars, if that was the case, that he was a member of that secretive group that would go around and kill Roman officials and Roman soldiers. Really, to understand more about Barabbas, though, we need to understand the role of Pilate in Barabbas's story. Now, Historical annals, both sacred and secular, will let you know that Pilate was a ruthless procurator. He valued law and order, and in this case particularly order, just as the emperor over in Rome did. 
And he was very concerned that he that word could get back to the emperor in Rome that he wasn't ever really keeping these pesky Jews in order. But the Jewish leaders took advantage of that, used that to their advantage. What did they do? They incited the mob here at Jesus' trial, got things disordered rather than ordered because they knew that they could play that off of Pilate because Pilate does not want word getting back to Rome that he can't control these people. He could lose his position. And so he tries a few things, as some of you know. First of all, he decided, well, you know, Jesus is from Galilee, and Herod is the Tetrarch of Galilee. Tetrarch means basically a puppet king. He still answered to the Romans. But nevertheless, he said, so why don't I send him to my vassal, uh, Herod, up there in Galilee, and let him try Jesus? So he thinks that gets this issue of this innocent man, Jesus, off of my back. Uh, Jesus is taken to Herod. Herod is just kind of a party boy, just kind of a strange party boy, and he just wanted to see Jesus do some magic tricks, put on kind of a miracle show, and when Jesus doesn't do it, he sends him right back to Pilate, and here's Pilate with this burden of Jesus again. Well, maybe if I have him flogged 39 times, that will suffice, and that would satisfy both the religious leaders and the crowd, and so they do that horrible, horrible uh, exercise of flogging him to the point, as always happened, that it would, it would uh, happen across the back, across the legs, and you would have just incredible bloodshed, internal organs hanging out, just, just horrible, just horrible. So surely that would satisfy them. Well, no, it did not. They cried out, crucify him. And he thinks to himself, okay, there's one other option I have here. It's Passover, and by tra- tradition, often we release one prisoner back to the Jews. And more often than not, it would be a a Jewish prisoner who had not done anything terribly bad. Now here is Barabbas, who is a murderer, a thief, an insurrectionist, a notorious prisoner, as it says. And so Pilate thinks to himself, whom could I come up with who people would clearly not choose him, but this innocent man, Jesus. And he has a lot of prisoners to choose from, and he chooses Barabbas. That should tell us enough right there of what notorious a prisoner He was. Surely they would not want this fellow back on the streets. And he thought about Jesus, whom he knew was popular, not only innocent, but but well-liked, at least he thought, because only a few days before there had been this triumphal entry where people were singing his praises. But I want us to go to the PowerPoint, Greg, and let's follow, let's shift from uh, Mark to Matthew, and let me read this and see how things come down. It says in verse 15, Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a well-known prisoner, oftentimes it's translated there, a notorious prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? Isn't it interesting? He refers to Jesus our Jesus in an interesting way there. He's kind of playing off the fact that they both have the same first name, Yeshua. Very common name back then. Do you want Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? It really magnifies the contrast between these two. It makes me think, uh, Marla Quartz, about uh, Wes Moore who came and spoke. I believe that was for the Quartz uh, uh, celebration over there at uh, the Wright Center. Uh, Wes Moore, there's a wonderful book called The Other Wes Moore. Did any of you go to that wonderful uh, uh, talk? It was just great. Wes Moore grew up uh, in the ghettos in New York, and there was another Wes Moore just down the street, and it's a wonderful book that kind of tracks their, their lives that were parallel for a time until the Wes Moore who wrote the book wound up going to military school and getting his life together, and then the other one who wound up 
uh, dealing drugs and becoming a murderer, and they befriend each other and tell each of their parallel stories along the way. Well, here you have a parallel of two extreme opposites, a very innocent, good, uh, worthy man, and then one who obviously should not be chosen. You've got Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus who is called the Messiah. And as it says in verse 18 there, for he knew that it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. Some of the other gospels say it was out of jealousy that he was handed over. They were jealous of the popularity of Jesus. They saw that as a threat. But surely people wouldn't go along with choosing Barabbas. Okay, now let's keep this second slide up for a few minutes, Greg, because I think this is interesting. Let me read through it one time. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. He knows he's innocent. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Now, now I want us to do something here. Barabbas is imprisoned at a place called the Fortress at Antonia. It's about 2,000 feet from where Jesus stands and from where Pilate is sitting and trying him. Uh, Jesus is on this elevated area called the pavement. Again, it's about 2,000 feet from where Barabbas is probably sitting in a cell, little less than a half mile, okay? So you've got the, uh, the prison there uh, the, at Antonia, the fortress of Antonia, and then you have the pavement here where Jesus stands, about 2,000 feet apart. It's too far away for Barabbas to hear what Pilate is saying, but it is close enough for him to hear what the crowd is saying. So now I need your help. I'm going to be Pilate, you're going to be the crowd, and I need you to be nice and loud when I point at you, okay? And we're going to do it just as it says here in Scripture, okay? You're going to cry out toward the end of verse 21 there, Barabbas, okay? And you say it loudly. And then later on, you're going to say, crucify him, and then one more time, you're going to say, crucify him, okay? This is how it goes down. Think about Barabbas sitting in his cell about 2,000 feet away from all of this, okay? I'm Pilate, you're the crowd. Starting at verse 21. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Barabbas. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Crucify. Why? What crime has he committed? Crucify. Think about what Barabbas heard. He sits in prison and he hears Barabbas. And then twice he hears what? Crucify him. (laughs) He's thinking this is it. Roman guards come to get him. He's thinking, this is the end. I'm about to be nailed to a cross. They said, crucify him. And they're bringing him along. And what's going on through his mind? I guess this is it. I'm done for. But no. He finds out someone took his place. Not just anyone, but an innocent man. And lo and behold, Jesus Barabbas is set free. You know, of all the characters that surround the crucifixion, isn't it interesting that Barabbas is the one about whom we know the least and yet is the one with whom you and I have the most in common? Because you and I are Barabbas. (laughs) Broken thieves imprisoned for us in sin, moving toward death, spiritual death, if we don't do anything about it. So really, what Jesus did for Barabbas, he did all the more for you and for me. Romans 6.23 puts it simply, for the wages of sin is what? Death. 
But thanks be to God, Romans 5, 8, for God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize how good that news is? It's really too good to be true. You know, we're used to to always being taught, you know, you can't get something for nothing, and yet there's this free, outrageous, scandalous gift of grace. It seems too good to be true. A few years ago, uh, H&R Block, true story, had this promotion where if you would walk in and have your taxes done there, you could sign up for a drawing where you could win $1 million. And there was a couple named Gloria and Glenn Sims, and they walked in, they needed their taxes done, They didn't want to do it themselves. They walked in, had the taxes done. They said, hey, you want to sign up for this? They said, sure. And they put it in the bowl there, and they went out, and there was this nationwide buzz about it. There was a big drawing, and lo and behold, the Simses were the ones whose name was drawn. They won a million dollars, and when H&R Block called them to let them know about it, they hung up on them because they were just certain it was a scam. And for the next number of weeks, H&R Block tried to contact them and say, you've won. But every time that they called, they were hung up on. Every time they emailed, it was deleted. Every time they sent a snail mail, it was trashed. It was just too good to be true, and they got tired of H&R Block harassing them. Finally, one morning, Mr. Sims gets a call from the NBC Today show. And they say, hey, we just want you to know that in a few days, uh, the Today Show is going to do a story with Matt Lauer about how uh, you all refused the $1 million that you were offered. Finally, Mr. Sims was, uh, maybe I should look into this. And indeed he did. And he found out that indeed they had won the $1 million. And so by that time, they go on the Today Show and talk about it. And I like his final quote. He said, well, H&R Block told us we really wanted to have a happy ending to all of this. We're ecstatic that you have finally accepted the prize. Too good to be true is what they thought. All the more too good to be true is this gift that he offered us by the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. Salvation that we receive that redeems us and rescues us from spiritual death and rescues us to eternal life with him. And here he is patiently waiting, sending you every possible message that he can. I wonder if there's somebody in here even this morning for whom it's not an accident that you're in here. Maybe you have never really given your own heart to Jesus and chosen, you know what, I'm going to really follow him this day. Have you made that commitment in your own life? Maybe today is indeed today. This is the very, very moment. So patiently he has waited and he's sending you message after message after message. What if you're already a believer? What if you're already a follower? He's trying to send you every message after message that even though you have been saved and he will stand up for you when you get to eternity, nevertheless you've been living a life of sin in some way, no doubt. Maybe you need to embrace once again his incredible free gift of grace that's way too good to be true. Let's have a word of prayer, and I want you to consider, as we began reading with Psalm 51, where David so comes to grips with his sin, where he says, against you only, O God, have I sinned. In what way have you sinned against God lately? Will you confess that to him that you can walk in newness of life prior to our receiving this wonderful meal?
And especially now, I want to zero in on you who might be sitting there and you have never made the commitment truly to follow Jesus. You've been an admirer of his for a long time. You've been a fan of his, but not a follower. And I want to challenge you this morning that maybe this is the time for you to make a profession of faith. That is, to to choose to follow him and his way and his will and his life that leads to eternal life. I want to challenge you right now to pray that silently to him, that you would commit to him and walk with him. Lord, as we hear the choir sing of your wondrous love and grace, prepare our hearts for this most sacred of meals. Thank you that you redeem us, if only we make ourselves open to it. Thank you for blessing all of us, Barabbases, by offering to set us free. Amen.